All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight, we're going to hear from Teresa Wills about teaching math simultaneously and in person, uh, to in-person and virtual students. So basically, um, trying to figure out how to uh, pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time and do it well. Uh, would everyone please introduce themselves in the chat window telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. So I know we have people here from not just the United States, but also from India and Canada. And of course, all across the United States from Romania as well. See people from Texas, Pennsylvania. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hawaii, yeah, it's, it's probably like in the middle of the afternoon in Hawaii. Um, all right, before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available approximately 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch your questions for the presenter to be addressed at the end of the presentation. Our speaker tonight is Teresa Wills. Teresa is an assistant professor of mathematics education leadership at George Mason University. Teresa has taught synchronous online classes and webinars for 10 years and researches teaching practices that are adaptable to the online environment. Prior to teaching online, uh, they worked as a secondary math teacher. She worked as a secondary math teacher, technology coach, and mathematics coach in grades K through eight. Teresa uses this background in mathematics, coaching, and technology to teach rigorous, interactive, and engaging courses. So thank you, Teresa, for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. And uh, hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening to all of you. Uh, let me just bring you through my journey of teaching online, then teaching face-to-face, -face, then teaching concurrently, also known as hybrid, high flex, simultaneous, basically, we have some of your class in person and some of them learning from a distance and uh, interacting it through some way or another, but at the exact same time as your in-person students. What I've got here on my screen is um, an introduction with just my information. If you want to get in touch with me, I love talking about this kind of stuff. So feel free to uh, drop me a message, follow me on Twitter or uh, head on to YouTube. And uh, let's start off with like how this whole thing happened for me. Uh, so I've been teaching online for uh, over a decade. And then I had to teach in person. And I was going, oh my gosh, how do I do all these great things that I've mastered doing online? How do I possibly do that back in person again? And then when I was in person, things were going great. There was a really bad flu season. And many of my students were out for long periods of time. It just took a little while to get back in. They finally got back in. Um, and during that time that they were out, 
and yet they were still feeling, you know, well enough to join. We don't want anyone joining if they're that sick, but uh, they would join in using Google Slides, which is what I had used in the online world. Um, at the time, we were uh, using a phone in the middle of the table. I would kind of set up my phone there um, and I had people calling in. Now we've got these great things called like Zoom, um, Google Meets, uh, Microsoft Teams and more. And um, but we are still interacting uh, simultaneously, whether we are in person or we were uh, uh, learning from home. So this is the accidental way that it happened for me and some of the tips that I got over the last couple of years before COVID and ones that you might want to implement now that you're in this newer normal. So first off, uh, I've got a lot of questions here that people always ask me. So I try to ground the um, thoughts that I have through questioning. And um, the, one of the first ones is how do I support my in-person students as they enter my classroom while engaging my virtual students. So uh, let's go ahead and find your chat box. Make sure you have that opened up. Uh, and you're going to type in here, what's the craziest thing that your students have taken out of their backpacks? Go ahead. Go ahead and write those in the, the chat box. The craziest thing you've ever seen and take out of their backpacks. Because whether we teach elementary school, middle school, high school, above, um, there are really some fantastic stories about kids unpacking in the morning or unpacking um, as they are, um, you know, entering their middle school classroom. And they always seem to pull out something weird from their backpack, but very important. And so we need to have that time for them to do that. But what do our virtual students do? So let's take a minute in the chat box. Um, 10 completely filled water bottles. That is definitely peculiar. A live chicken. Heidi, I would love to hear more about this. This just already has my interest. Melted crayons. Um, hairbrushes. Colt pizza. Dad's car key. Poor dad. But whatever it is, or whether it be a kitten, that's happened to a teacher I've mentored before, or melted crayons, um, students need time to kind of unpack their belongings. And in this COVID world, they need time to do it safely following certain protocol. So let's look at what students can be doing who are learning virtually at that same time so that you can give the attention to your in-person students. One thing that I love to do is have the students make an informative slide. Now, I'm talking as young as first graders doing this. Um, obviously, the um, the older students get, the more, um, you know, jazzed up that slide might get or the more uh, into social media and beyond that slide might get. But I simply start off with something blank and I say your tech task for the first five minutes, seven minutes of class is to find pictures of measuring cups and create an informative slide. Oh, it's super vague on purpose. Remember, I'm trying to engage the virtual students. Um, I want a lot of variety here, but I need to pay attention to my students unpacking their shampoo and cold pizza from their backpacks. So uh, this week, I give this prompt to, and after day one, one of my students just has some images because they know how to go to file or insert image, search the web, and they find all these images. But I don't like to stop there. I want them to have the same task every day that week to do while I'm giving my attention to the third graders unpacking their backpacks. 
So on day two, this student goes back to their infographic and they start to make this. And I'm thinking, what did you do differently here? Now I have questions. I'm curious about their thinking. It came up in conversation that the things on the left only measure one measurement and the things on the right have multiple measurements. And of course, as a math teacher, I'm like, ooh, we could go on and on about this. But let's see where your mind goes next. And so they have this text slide again on another day. And this time they're starting to bring out some of the things that they can see on the measuring devices or that they're looking up online. And so here we have a teaspoon, a quarter cup, this mystery one, and we don't know what's on that one. Um, this interesting fact, oh, this one's new to me actually, three teaspoons equals one tablespoon, that would have been useful to know. And uh, the four cups to one liter, um, that's actually written on this device here. And then we're at the end of a four day week and uh, the student starts to add other things to the slide. Questions for their peers to answer. How many teaspoons are in a quarter cup? Hint, there's 16 tablespoons in one cup. Now, I know this is the global math department, and we have folks from many other countries. Um, and so depending on your curriculum, this may or may not be applicable. But for us in the U.S., we have to teach uh, metric, which makes sense, and also this customary unit with cups and tablespoons, and and then we have to make them equal to um, to the metric. So uh, there's a lot of measurement there. And the reason I give this kind of project to my students to do a few minutes as the others are getting unpacked is just like it's important for my in-person students to follow safety procedures, my virtual students need to get better and better and better at the tech because that is what they're using right here. They're getting better at it. They're finding images. And then when I come back to the whole class, like we're coming into this measurement unit, I have 14, that's how many kids were in my most recent one, 14 um, students work about measurement. They've seen pictures of it. Maybe they've gone around their house and taken pictures of it. They're getting engrossed in this idea of measurement before we even start the unit. So those are some kind of starting tips. What do we do when they're taking the cold pizza out of their backpacks? Another thing that's really important to think about um, with this whole um, simultaneous learning is classroom community. You know, when everything went to being back completely online, everybody was online, um, you know, people started putting up a profile picture, then they'd get silly with it put up another profile picture. Uh, and these different profile pictures started to build community. But now that we're going back into this, some students are face-to-face, -face, some are virtual. What we're finding is that teachers are getting that need met of having interaction. But we still need to remember those virtual kids have that same need. So what do we talk about? Here's seven of my favorites, selfies as many as we can get, as silly as they can get. Pets, hobbies, sports, food, culture, and friends. Those are the things that people are gonna keep talking about, have images of. If you're a secondary teacher, those kids are gonna know how to um, upload them from their phone in a second, probably half of you in elementary as well. But let's see what a simple picture can do. What if we're more cognizant about updating our pictures on Zoom? 
What could they tell us? So I put this example up here, not just because I want to see 15 photos of myself, but really quickly, you can learn a bit about me, just like I can learn a bit more about my students by asking them to either update their picture on the social media or uh, the Zoom platform they're using, or just have a space within uh, your learning management system or on the slides that you're using for class. All right, let's get a little more interaction going on here. Let's talk about like how we get student voice in these two zones. Um, what works best for in-person might not work best for virtual students. And it's important to look for the advantages of both. Here's one of my favorite tools. I love a good whiteboard. Personal whiteboard with markers that actually work well and I can see from a distance. I can have kids write just about anything um, on a whiteboard and then all of them flip it up and show me at once. I can survey the class. I get a real sense of student voice there. But if we do this on Zoom, I don't know, it's kind of tough to read. So maybe the whiteboard is a tool, but maybe not necessarily the best tool for uh, getting student uh, information as the class is live. One thing I love to use is whiteboards and waterfalls. So that is taking in mind that we have two types of learners, our in-person learners who have their whiteboard and the virtual learners who will use the waterfall. So let's demonstrate what this is like. You're gonna use the chat box, but not hit enter right away. You're gonna start typing and that's all. Why might you want many responses at the same time? Start to put your thoughts in the chat, but don't hit enter, don't hit send. Why might you want many, 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 many responses to all come in at the same time? So my face-to-face -face students, I'd say whiteboards and waterfalls. Everyone who's virtual, hit return or send. Everybody who's face-to-face -face is going to go ahead and hold up their whiteboard. So here now I'm getting a ton of information, just like I would have before, but through the best modality. Let's see some of the other ones that people said. It's fun, student engagement. We can get a pulse of the class without checking other people's answers. Stacy, what you mentioned there is all about building confidence. So if you have students in the virtual realm who could use more confidence to participate more, by having them do a waterfall, they can get lost in that big waterfall. But I still have accountability. I still know that each of my students had uh, responded there. Other people brought up wait time. 
one answer doesn't stop the thinking. You get more original answers. And someone even mentioned the amount of risk taking. Uh, so again, this is gonna build confidence because students can get lost in the crowd. My middle school teachers know exactly what I'm talking about there. Um, these kids want to have a voice, but maybe not be the complete center of attention all the time. Lovely. All right, folks, um, let's kind of shift over here I got another question that I get a lot, which is kind of funny because it's about questions. Um, how do I know if my students have any questions before they begin their work? And here's what I will sometimes see. This is an example of a concurrent classroom or a simultaneous classroom. We've got up at the top there, several in-person students. And at the bottom, we have several virtual students. We're all learning live. And I'll give the directions and say, are there any questions? Five hands go up, which is great. I love questions. I want students to know what they're needing to do. And so I'll start answering those questions. And what will happen is the folks in yellow, they're getting distracted. I only have two questions left, but now I have several students who are distracted. And I'm thinking, all right, let me race through these last couple of questions so we can all get on task. And then more students are distracted and there's only one question left. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I need to get to this last question. Then they can go off and I'll be ready to go. And then there's more questions all of a sudden. What just happened? And it's because the students who are distracted now have new questions. And this whole cycle can tumble a great lesson completely out of control. I don't know if that's ever happened to anyone. It has happened to me before. I've learned from this model um, what to do, how to make sure that um, you know all the other questions are valued, but don't take over all of your time. And we have a beautiful thing that we can do with uh, synchronous instruction. And that's setting up different rooms. Now, depending what uh, platform you use, whether it's Zoom, Collaborate, Microsoft Teams, Meets, and more, there's different ways that you can set up breakout rooms. And oftentimes, there is a way for students to assign themselves to a breakout room or for you to assign breakout rooms, but then they click the button to go into it. And I like this because it kind of gets students ready. Um, you know right away uh, which students still have questions. And if I don't have a question, I can get to work. And that's a really important characteristic to consider because in the face-to-face -face class, we would see a hand. People could start in their small groups. We might kind of circle around to the, the students with questions. But in this realm, we want to make sure that we value them and give them a place to ask. So by simply making two rooms, we can offer that space, but it doesn't end there. What if we had five rooms? What if there was the questions room, the quiet room, like absolutely no mics. This is totally quiet. I just need my space to get my stuff done. What if there's a partner group area, a tutoring room? What about revisions? What else could we have? Go ahead and find that chat box. What other rooms would you like to have in a meeting?
what other rooms might you like? Think about you as a learner. Ah, catch-up room would be fabulous. What else? Ah, uh, Andrea, you are speaking my language. Having a game room, um, maybe a practice room, challenge problems room, for students to be able to identify that like, I'm ready for a challenge problem. I'm ready to move into this one. Makeup work. So what we're really doing here is we're telling our virtual students, you have the same access to these different rooms as your in-person students would when they would walk over to the section where they're grabbing the extension game or they are um, having a private time with a co-teacher where they're getting tutored on something they missed. It's not that they don't have access to those. It just looks differently in the virtual world. Alrighty. So let me shift over a little bit to computer skills and what computer skills we need to explicitly teach, which ones all students need in person, virtual, and maybe which ones are just virtual. And so a question I always get are what are the essential skills? What are the ones that, gosh, I just can do my job so much better if kids have this. And to do that, um, I would love to be able to send you all to the funny farm. I'm going to go ahead and put a sticky note here that should um, be right above your chat. I'll also put it in the chat box uh, so you can get to either one. But it's a bit.ly uh, GMD for our global math department farm. And you're going to get a Google slide. Uh, that just has this farm in it. This is um, a, a fun little activity to do, but I want you to go into this with the lens of what are the essential computer skills. So you should have a Google slide open called uh, Funny Farm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought I heard somebody there, but maybe not. Oh, sorry, that was me, that was Lee. Um, my question was when I clicked on it, it, it uh, asked me if I wanted to make a copy. So yes, yeah, so I've done it, so it'll do a forced copy. Uh, that way we're not all editing in the same place. So yeah, just go ahead and hit, yes, I do want a copy. It's gonna save it to your Google Drive for you already. Um, and then you'll get to play around in it. Okay. Just wanted to verify that. Thank you. Yeah. So folks, the directions on this are quite simple. Have you ever wondered why a chicken is smaller than a horse? What if it wasn't? Your job is to make a funny farm. You're going to drag the animals or the barns or more onto the farm. And you're going to stretch them, rotate them, move them around to look exactly like what you want and make it funny. Another section to this to, to get students really interested in using the keys more is control D stands for duplicate um, is the tool to use to make lots of something. 
And when I was teaching a kindergarten class about this, we were actually looking at non-standard measurement units. So we would talk about how many bushes wide is a barn. Um, they're learning this control D because it's awesome and fun and they want to be able to interact more with it. We've got other kids who are on an iPad and says, oh, it's not control D, you press and hold, and then that makes the copy of it. We've got another person on the Mac who says, no, it's actually command D. And we're learning all about the shortcuts uh, of these computer skills. There's also a little message on the left, which I highly recommend anytime you're doing anything with virtual instruction. This is a note to parents and caregivers. And it kind of even needs to be said up into secondary, just letting parents know that the purpose of this activity is to teach students how to use the drag, resize, and rotate tools. Please help them learn independence by allowing them to do this themselves. We want them to make lots of mistakes. Once they master these skills, they'll be able to do a lot more without needing your help. So that's the purpose of this activity is getting kids to pull a cow over, stretch it and go, oops, I wasn't supposed to do that. It's a funny farm. Now this is another type of activity that we could uh, do with our in-person students also. These are the minimal skills that'll make your, um, your instruction fantastic. Um, resizing things, moving them around, copy and pasting and more. Um, and so this is actually something I would do with all of my students in person or virtual. And some of the reasons why is because mistakes are correct. I'm sure you all are enjoying making this silly farm, but if you accidentally stretch out the barn because you grabbed the wrong side of the resize tool, no big deal, very low stakes here. Um, but by the end of this, even my youngest students that I've worked with are self-starters. They know the essential tools and they're ready to go off into this world of learning online or just learning to be a digital citizen in their world. Alrighty, uh, let me go ahead and bring up our, bring up my presentation again. Uh, so another question that I'm always thinking about is whose ideas are valued in your class? So is it my idea that gets all the attention? Am I the one who's really running the show? Uh, or can my students start to show this independence and this um, ideas that are valued? This might be familiar to some of you. No matter what grade you teach, you're probably teaching word problems at some point. And the thing about word problems is there's not just one type. So even if we're an addition unit, we might bring in some subtraction word problems. Even if we're in a subtraction unit, we might have comparing problems or joining problems, which is another word for addition, or part, part, whole problems, and so on. And as young as kindergarten, first grade, we are teaching these different types of problem solving that are going to be the foundation of what they need in upper level mathematics too. Um, but how do we do it in person? Kids are playing, they're building, they're modeling, and they're conceptualizing. What we're seeing in a lot of virtual classrooms is that this is what we want students to do, but it's hard to do it. 
So I'm gonna give you some tips of making this easier in a virtual setting. I'll play a little video here. Let's see, is it best to do it from this? All right, here we go. There's no sound with this video. So this is an example of um, a problem that the students were doing. It says, move some ducks to the pond and some cows to the grass. The kids have already learned the control D for duplicating. They're able to move the, the cows and the ducks and they're working on an equation. And there we go, lovely, we have our equation. Alrighty, let's see, can you see my screen? Yes, you can. Um, there we go. One of the reasons why this was uh, such a successful task is that the students are the ones modeling it. And that is the core verb in all of these problem solving uh, situations is that the students are modeling joining, they're modeling separating, they're modeling part, part, whole, um, or comparison. And we need a space to see that. So there's a couple things if you're looking with your teacher hat. I started off with uh, a question at the top that's very open. As a matter of fact, there's no numbers in there at all. Uh, so the students are the ones who put in the numbers for ducks in the pond and uh, ducks in the grass, and we figure out how many ducks are left in the pond. And here's Beth's thinking. Beth had nine in, moved two out, seven left. And the nice thing about this is I can always go back to it and see what Beth was doing. Um, I can make sure my virtual students know what they're doing so that I can turn and work with my in-person students in class, come back, I've got a recording of what Beth did. I've got a recording of what Kim did. Now Kim's got four total and the equation says four minus one. I'm already getting some ideas in my head of things that I might ask Kim next to see what Kim's thinking is. And then we have Saeed. Saeed's got a lot of ducks, um, but it's super clear to me that uh, Saeed sees what's important here um, and is able to show it and model it. And then we have Jessica. And because this problem was so open, Jessica had the opportunity to really kind of show the arithmetic differently. Jessica wrote there's 13 ducks in the pond and that she's going to move seven to the grass. We can see there's three up here, four down here, but check out her equation. 13 minus three minus four equals six. Now that's kind of cool. Jessica's already showing me some other understanding and I have that here that I can look at after class, in the middle of class, when I have the time to turn all of my attention to virtual and then when I wanna turn and have my attention to the in-person. This space gives them that opportunity. And these questions aren't limited to join and separate. Um, in this example here, it says there's nine animals on the farm. Four of the animals are in the barn and move the rest of the animals to make this true. So the kids are the ones putting all the information in there. We don't actually know how many are in the barn. That's what they're showing. That's what they're um, finding in this problem.
And the best part is um, I can see as the teacher, you can see my slideshow, I can see all of these different ones as they're happening live. Just like if I stand up, I can look down um, at my students' desks and see which of the face-to-face -face students are moving the ducks around and so on. So we have modeling in both places. All right, let me get you all chatting in the chat box. Suppose we just have this barn template. What other open problems could you ask using that same template, that barn? So go ahead and type those in the chat. What other open problems could you ask using the barn template? Ah, so now we're even getting into ratio questions. Um, if you had some cows and you double that, um, how many would you have? Looking at horses and cows in the pasture, what's the ratio? And depending on whether you have specific state standards or you're using Common Core or Providence standards or wherever you are, you've probably got some kind of a guide like this where they talk about, in this case, Mr. Smith and cookies. Um, but we can take these same contexts and just open it up for kids, have them, um, you know, do it in, uh, in person or virtually. All right, we're going to shift gears a little bit. So who holds the marker? in your class. Now, I like asking this question because have you ever gotten together for a PD and, you know, the, the teachers get the nice like sticky paper or, you know, there's there's some little extra, maybe brand new Sharpies out. These little things get us going as teachers. And um, it'll be time for someone to draw for the group or, or note take for the group. And not everyone gets equal access. It's usually the person with the nicest handwriting the person who can draw or the last person to put their finger on their nose, whatever it is. But my question to you is, who is holding the marker in your class? And when you've got some students virtual, how do you make sure um, that those virtual students get an opportunity to hold the marker? So I've got a little video for us. This is using uh, an estimation routine from Estimation 180, fantastic website already has tons and tons of images for you. So less work for you. And I've got the template for you. So you don't even have to do that part. You just find the one you want and paste it in. Here's a little video. And as we're watching, think about who holds the marker in the class and how do you know? So here we see that on the left-hand side, uh, the students are writing an estimate that is way too low. They're just counting marshmallows, but we want a too low one. And then I want to know why do you think this is too low? So I think I have a, this student going to explain why they know 20 is too low.
Um, I think it's too low because I can actually count 20. And so I know there's a lot more than that. And then at this time, I can also turn to my in-person students and asking them on their whiteboards why they thought that their number was too low. But I'm seeing everybody's thinking, whether we are virtual or we're face-to-face. -face. Then they do the same thing on the too high side. They start to think of a number that is just way too big. And again, I want their voice. So I'm going to ask them to explain their thinking. Yeah, um, what I did is I took the largest ring at the top and I multiplied that by the stack of um, marshmallows I found. So that was what, eight times six? So we heard from some virtual students. We heard from some face-to-face -face students. Every kid has the opportunity to hold that marker no matter where they are. And now I wanna know like, how many marshmallows are there? Don't just tell me too low. Don't just tell me too high. I want to know exactly how many. So then on the next slide, I give them that opportunity to tell me how many do you think are here? And as a little side tip, I love to use color. Um, much like students need to know where they stand in line or where to sit on the carpet um, or where their desk is in secondary school, they want to know where to type their thinking. So I assigned them all a color at the beginning. That gives me some accountability. And they're still all able to type their thinking right there on the slide. Again, I'll take some of these uh, ideas and I'll ask the students to explain their thinking. Um, and I always encourage them to use somebody else's that had talked earlier um, and build on I just it. just looked at the, the top and noticed there were more. And on the bottom, there were less. So I guess that there were like five or six and then there's roughly three layers that might be five to six and then I went down a little bit maybe like five or four and counted how many layers and then just added all those together and got roughly 30. Hi uh, I was listening to the other uh, explained how he got the 48 and then I just and then estimate it. I love that you're referencing um, another strategy that we did on another slide. So in that case, the, the student was describing something that somebody else had um, already thought of and um, used that further. So what you all are gonna get at the end of the session, I'll make sure everyone has access to these slides and others. Um, I have a lot of templates that you're seeing right here. This is an open template. I just put the image from Estimation 180 in here. Uh, there's even videos with the correct answer. So you get to see all that. Um, and so all this is, is done for you. You just need to get the picture that you're gonna put in. Um, as I'm bringing that up, uh, in the chat is uh, the address for my website where I have a lot of these materials and I'll be bringing it up again at the end here. So there is one more tip that I have for our in-person and our virtual students. And that is 
this accidental way that families became so involved with their learning in the past year, year and a half. I speak as a parent of a second and a third grader, and I speak for so many other parents when I say it's been great to get a glimpse into what my students are learning. It's been great to see that, and I don't want that to go away just because we're moving back into the classroom, and I don't want that going away um, if I am uh, the only kid in the virtual classroom. So how do we keep this family involvement? And one of the ways I do it is through images. I've got this little repeated GIF because it's important that my students know how to do this, but there's a way that you can just take a picture of whatever's in your hand and post it right up onto Google Slides. So that gives our virtual students access. And I asked this question. Let's see if you can guess what grade this is for. I asked students to take a picture of their favorite food that fits in a bowl. Got several images. Learning a little bit more about my students also. And this is for a math lesson. I hope I've got you intrigued, wondering like, what math lesson is this for? And it's actually a, a high school lesson. We were trying to get a 3D printer um, to, um, to make a duplicate of the bowl. So we had some piecewise functions. We had um, some different, uh, like the cross section of the bowl looking at the parabola. Um, and they were trying to figure out how do I make a replica of this bowl? But really easily, I'm already seeing other people um, think about, oh, how could I use this in my class? So tell us your grade, a math topic, and what would your image hunt be about? What would you want them to look around their home for and bring in? I see we've got first, second, fourth, fifth, geometry, calc. Great to you teach. What's your math topic and what would you want students to go hunt for? Ah, uh, yes, that um, conic sections is a fun one because oftentimes we only see them if we're thinking about the cross section. Volumes of shapes, absolutely. Um, examples of prisms. And what I found, I started this session talking about ways to include the student as part of the community, the classroom community. And what I found is food is a fabulous way of bringing kids in. They're proud of the, the culture that they are and the food that they bring in from that. Um, and so I've done this activity where we bring in a variety of food. We talk about different pastas um, or noodles in other cultures, and we talk about buns in other cultures, like uh, rolls or buns or um, different wrapped up um, uh, breadish type of things things. Every culture seems to have one. And it's this great way of connecting to one another. And then we bring the math out in it too. So as a teacher and as a parent, um, when I think about us moving back and having some in-person, some virtual, what do I want to keep from that? It's this family side of it. It's this glimpse into the home and um, getting images of the home around you.
So I know I've given you all several ideas uh, tonight, and I want to leave us on a quote that's very important to me. I always come back to this because just about every time I try something new, I think to myself, I don't know about that. So I want to leave you with this quote. Try a thing you haven't done three times. Once to get over the fear of doing it. Twice to learn how to do it. And a third time to figure out whether you like it or not. This has been my recipe to decide what I like, how I like it, what I'm going to infuse more of. And um, maybe another part is even asking students, did you like this or not? What I love about this quote is it's based on grace. Give yourself grace as you incorporate some of these new things. Show your students that when you give yourself grace and you um, embrace misconceptions and misunderstandings, that they will then be able to do that when they're problem solving. They'll be able to give themselves grace and they'll start to um, enjoy the mistakes that they bring up and the productive struggle. So folks, um, Thank you for your time. I wanted to save some time for questions here. Um, I hope that you've gotten some really great uh, tips for teaching in this simultaneous, some people in person, some virtual. Um, and most importantly, I hope you are still bringing out the love for math and the joy in teaching. And uh, if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the Q&A or the chat. Um, I know Lee is helping me out with those. Um, but let me know what questions you have. And as those are coming in, I'll also point out um, that I have all of these slides, templates, and more up on my website. It's TeresaWills.com. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about any of those things, um, and feel free to reach out to me. Uh, happy to share basically everything I got, um, sharing it out with, with educators. So thanks for coming. And if you do have questions, uh, go ahead and pop them in the chat. Thank you very much for presenting tonight, Teresa. There um, is one question that I put in the presenter chat for you. Ah, um, there we go. So, um, and I'll I'll scan back through the the uh, chat to see if I see any others. Perfect. This question was: What's the most challenging thing about teaching in person and virtual at the same time? And for me, and I think a lot of teachers might be here, the most challenging part of that is remembering whichever group you're not working with. And so, you know, if I'm, you know, turning my attention to my virtual students, it's remembering my in-person. If I'm working with my in-person, it's remembering my virtual students. Now, this might seem like a really big task, but I'm pretty sure most teachers have had two groups of students. Group one is doing a game. Group two is doing a follow-up activity. As soon as we can relate that to something we've already done, such as these two different groups, it becomes more manageable. Uh, we start to become more aware that there are indeed two different groups of students and I need to um, move over to this group. I need to move over to that group. Um, and the other thing that is really useful here is anticipating. So um, I am a big follower of Smith and Stein's work for the five practices when we're talking about discussions. And the First practice is anticipation. That's been the cornerstone of my teaching ever since being introduced to it. So if I can anticipate the tech problems before they happen, which are usually kids need a place to type their thinking, then I can make sure they have it. 
If I can anticipate in the face-to-face -face, um, time when there's going to be a fire drill, it's going to make it so that I can uh, adapt my lesson for it and that I'm more aware and I'm not kind of um, flying by the seat of my pants. So I would say that's probably the most challenging. Um, but if you're in that position, think about the way that you're already addressing this in your class. Um, Melissa put a, a question in, in the chat as well. Something about uh, Math Thursdays, I think is what it is. Uh, math Days, thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, Lisa and several other people um, have uh, been attending this. I do a free PD every single Saturday. And um, it's also on my website. Let me go ahead and bring that up so you all can see. Um, it's TeresaWells.com slash mathardays. And what I have here are over 50 math routines and rich tasks that you can use in your classroom right away. Now, this is geared towards virtual instruction. Um, but if you're looking for, hey, how do I do this estimation 180? How do I do a notice wonder? How do I do um, a slow reveal graphs or um, infographics or always, sometimes, never? I do every Saturday. It's one hour and um, we start with a routine. We go into a rich task. We talk about a lot of different representations and um, that sign up is on my website. So thanks Lisa for reminding me about that. Let me put it on a sticky also so it's at the top. Um, but everyone's welcome. It's just a, a chance for us to explore math a little bit more and um, the math community grows when we can have more recordings of this. Great, great. Thank you. Um, I put one other question for you, Teresa, into your presenter Perfect. chat related to um, motivating the more reticent and shy. Uh, so when students um, need motivation to participate in class, what I hear is my students need more opportunities for successes so that they can gain their confidence. There's you know, it, it's a scary place being only having a voice through a slide or when I have my camera turned on, but I didn't get my hair done today or I didn't do this. You know, there's these other uh, components. So some of the things I do to build confidence, uh, chat waterfalls is a very simple way. We did that earlier of getting a lot of accountability and they can get lost in the crowd. I use that one a lot. The other is um, on this example with the bowls. I'll give this as the homework assignment. For this class, all you need for the next one is an image up here. Um, sometimes I'll have them put their own image on the slide with their name for accountability, but they have the time to do it. They have the time to be successful, which is going to increase their confidence. In the estimation 180, I've got accountability built in here. So they have their light blue is their color. They need to respond in there for the accountability purpose, but to build their confidence, they can see what other people are writing. It's not this big mystery of, oh my gosh, am I going to get the math problem right today? You can see what other people are doing. You can kind of piggyback on others' ideas until you've grown your confidence and you're ready to bring your own ideas out there. In terms of the ducks and the uh, grass, again, we're building confidence. I can see what other people have done. I can kind of look at these and slowly learn, oh wait, that's what it is. It is subtraction. But if I want to give this as a one-on-one -on -one assignment to see what students know individually, I'll just give them the one side and it's between me and them. But 
in terms of their social situation, they're always going to be shining um, amongst their peers to grow that confidence so that we can dive into those deeper tasks. So that's kind of the heart of, of everything I do is, you know, how do I grow their confidence? How do I make it so that participating, participating online is way better than just sitting back and doing nothing? I don't know if I see any other questions right now. Um, I do want to just mention about the Mather Days. Um, there are recordings there of the ones that have already happened. So um, I'll definitely have to take a look at, at some of those and, and possibly um, share that with some of my um, pre-service teachers um, and have them watch some of those um, as, as a potential assignment in the future. Uh, because I know that they're probably not used to thinking about the fact that it's possible they may have to teach this way someday themselves. And so um, experiencing things as a student first helps you to understand what it's like possibly for your students that are in front of you. So absolutely. And they're full of bloopers. I do a one hour full recording. None of it is cut. Um, and so, you know, even if you're working with other teachers, you want to try a problem, you want to see the way that it's done in a virtual classroom. And then you want to look at the video for just like this one minute segment and talk about ways you could do that better. It's all there in its raw form. So um, definitely check it out. Um, and yeah, come come join us one Saturday. All right. Um, if you have any other questions for Teresa, uh, feel free to uh, post those in the chat as I'm closing out tonight's session. But thank you very much, Teresa, for uh, being here uh, tonight. Uh, we have one last global math department session to finish up the 2020-2021 school year. Um, and that is going to be on June 15th, two weeks from tonight. The title of that session is English Learners Routines That Leverage Strengths and Optimize Learning. And that's a grade six through 12 session, uh, which is being led by Vanessa Krogahalu. And we also have uh, one of the people that's in our chat tonight, Lebo is also gonna be sharing during that session um, about how something he has learned at the Global Math Department has impacted his teaching in his classroom and the work that he does with his students. So I hope several of you will be able to join us in two weeks. Um, if you know other teachers that would benefit from the Global Math Department, please share the links with them so that they can get to see and learn so much um, and learn about this wonderful uh, community that we have here. So thank you everyone and thank you, Teresa. I gotta find where to stop the recording. There we go. <laughs> <laughs>